I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your source for news, politics, and more. Many Illinois residents are and have been receiving quote-unquote newspapers in the mail ahead of the election. They look real enough. It's that newsprint paper. There's a name, columns, and headlines, but they're actually right-wing campaign mailers. Here now with more on these fake newspapers is Dan Mahalopoulos, government and politics reporter for WBEZ. And on the line is David Folkenflik, media correspondent for NPR. Dan, these papers, if we can call them that, they've been showing up in people's mailboxes for months now. Have you received one before? Uh, We have indeed received these newspapers many, (laughs) many times in the Mihalopoulos Nichols household. Uh, We have... Well, you've got one right here. I've got one right here with me, North Cook News, from the week of October 3rd to 8th, which informs us that the Pritzker family and Lurie Children's Hospital are promoting, quote, gender and sex development experiments in Illinois What did you think when you first read that? Well, look, um, I'm... These have been around for a while. They crop back up at election time. It's campaign season. And being a member of the government and politics team at WBZ, I am aware of where the money is coming from and who's behind this. It's it's essentially a campaign mailer masquerading as a local newspaper on the back page. There are photos of some of the fine uh, student athletes in your neighborhood as Mm -hmm. well. So they're trying to make it look like a, a newspaper like the Daily Herald when, in fact, um, it's one-sided. Now, these guys would argue, the, the people producing it, the, the Republicans who are producing it, would argue that they feel that mainstream media is too far to the left and they're countering that. You know, the difference is pretty simple, though. Um, you know, you have misinformation here, but this is just opinion, you know, and that's fine. It's a free country. But at the same time, uh, just mark it for what it is and and just send a mailer. Yeah. Well, we've got some company, Dan. Joining us now on the line is David Folkenflik, media correspondent for NPR. Welcome to Reset, David. Hey, Sasha. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So you recently wrote an article about these fake newspapers, which, I mean, I'm looking at it now. It looks pretty real. Uh, Are there names, David, that people can look out for? Names as in bylines or names as in, you know, targets is going to be Governor Pritzker, right? Yeah. But you see see on a lot of these uh, papers, they'll have maybe one or two names on a bunch of articles. I've got some here in my home studio now. And they belong to people that I can't track down. Doesn't mean they don't exist. I want to be clear. But, uh, you know, the one that I found uh, and pulled out. Uh, is named uh, Lori A. Lubert, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Uh, this same name uh, was on a byline uh, and was belonging to a reporter who actually existed who wrote for the Virginian pilot mm-hmm. in Norfolk about 15 years ago and prior to that. And then she left the paper. Uh, and now she's written for, uh, let's see, this one is in the, the Chicago City Wire, but it's also in a bunch of other newspapers uh, throughout the country that I wrote about uh, Illinois is sort of the, the the seeding ground for this. It's got, call it, 30 outlets of which, you know, maybe a dozen or so are, are sent in printed form to people's homes in, in the moment of high election season. Yeah. But there are really t- about 1,200 of these nationally. And her name appeared in publications in North Carolina, publications in, uh, in New Mexico, in Maine, right. you know, all over the place. Wow. And these are not as Dan was indicating, not what you would think normal news articles would look like. Yeah. And some of the titles circulating here in the state, Chicago City Wire, DuPage Policy Journal, Sangamon Sun, the South Cook News. Uh, what 
did you have there, Dan? North Cook News, Correct. West Cook News, et cetera. Uh, these mailers, uh, Dan, they're targeting specific demographic groups, right? Right. I mean, you have a couple different things that are going on in this election here. Uh, you have a target uh, that is swing voters. So they're trying to emphasize crime and trying to emphasize uh, the, the message of the Republican candidate for governor, which is that the crime that we see in parts of Chicago is going to spread to your suburb or to your rural area of downstate Illinois. Uh, the other message that they're sending in areas where there are uh, more black voters is that the Democrats have failed you. And that's of a piece with uh, some of these ads we've seen with the former you know, retired uh, TV reporter Charles Thomas, yeah. uh, who has sort of argued the same point that what have the Democrats done for us lately? Uh, we might as well throw in with with Darren Bailey and he's endorsed Darren Bailey. I mean, Dan, is this messaging working? Yeah, I think to some extent it is. I, I certainly have had people come up to me and say, you know, hey, I heard that the Safety Act, which is the, the criminal justice reform bill that goes into effect uh, in the new year, that that'll uh, empty the prisons and that there'll be no bail, that they won't be able to hold people who are murderers. And it's just not true, but it's something that we've seen in these newspapers, quote unquote. We've seen them in um, some of the campaign ads from the same uh, group of people. They have a pack. Um, and let's name names is Dan Proft, yeah. um, who is a radio host on another station that doesn't subscribe to, to ratings. So we don't really know how many people listen to him. Um, and, um, you know, it's the same bunch of people that, that put out some newspapers a few years ago that also had fake bylines or, or had people producing, quote unquote, local content from as far away as the Philippines or from other states. So, you know, to the point that David made, you know, you have reporters that how could they possibly be experts? I mean, we have a hard enough time covering one state and one city. Uh, and, you know, you've got these reporters that suddenly are experts and are able to do stories in a variety of states mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. But this is not real reporting. They're not uh, actually going out and trying to find out something that uh, they don't want to say in the first place. Yeah. David, talk more about that, because I'm really wondering if people are actually reading these and they're actually believing what is printed. You know, it's it's very tough to measure, and I think that uh, it's most likely to reach the kinds of folks who had historically for decades turned to local printed newspapers for news and found, uh, particularly outside of, you know, Chicago itself, those newspapers greatly diminished in scope, ambition, sometimes in the days of the week they're published. Sometimes they're not published at all. Some have gone out of business. Yeah. And so... This may be a familiar thing to them. This isn't particularly fancy layout. It's not particularly glitzy, but it's got color photos and big headlines and charts and, you know, other kinds of things that look an awful lot like a local newspaper. And people can pick that up. I think you're probably, not necessarily exclusively, but probably talking about older white readers. And if you look at the concerns being uh, presented there, they are hot button Republican issues that are, you know, expertly tailored to play upon the concerns of people who are seeing society change perhaps more rapidly than they might like. Yeah. And so, you know, the erosion of local news is even as trust in local news remains higher than trust in national news, interestingly. The, the erosion of local news has provided an opportunity for these simulcrums to show up there. But no, these aren't um, things that are actually uh, really reporting on local news. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's part of an ecosystem. You mentioned Dan Proft, right? So he's a local 
radio show host, although I don't think he anymore lives in Chicago, if, if, if I, my memory serves me on that. Correct. He's a, as he, far as we know, he's a Florida he man. He lives in Florida. Yeah, he's now a Florida man. He uh, you know, is obviously a former Republican candidate for governor who himself has become a major player in state politics by running uh, people who play by the rules political action committee, which is funneled by you know, tens of millions of dollars from the family of this uh, you know, cardboard shipping magnate uh, you know, empire. Um, and what you see is that the newspapers often quote Proft who then will cite the newspapers on his radio show uh, and then will use the money from his pack to help promote the candidates who he's interviewing on his show and he's mm-hmm. promoting in Illinois, but also who he's promoting through the subsidies he's offering the newspapers themselves. So it's kind he's kind of created this rather effective closed uh, uh, ecosystem of news. And while perhaps no one touch might lead somebody to say, well, that's obviously true and I'm going to believe it like that. You know, you're having a relentlessness for people who are seeing it reinforced through advertisements, through the radio show, through the, the yeah. fake newspapers, what have you, that, you know, it certainly accretes. At a certain point, certain things that have been reasserted time and again take on a patent of credibility. There's an article in the Sun-Times today about that same group, uh, the people who play by the rules pack, um, which is also behind the yellow flyers that are showing up on the south and west sides of Chicago. One of them reads, Pritzker lying, black kids are dying. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's what we were talking about before, that they are trying to undermine the historically very high support for Democratic candidates among black voters in Illinois. Black voters really obviously are the uh, one of the most important bases for the Democratic Party in Illinois, together with progressives of, of various um, races and ethnicities. And so it's been one of their big efforts to try to undermine uh, that because, you know, you really can't get elected governor in Illinois with just all the all the downstate areas, which are sparsely populated. You need the swing voters uh, who are um, they're trying to get to with fears of crime and um, and uh, transphobia. And then you have uh, the black voters that they're trying to get to uh, by saying, you know, that the Democrats um, have not done enough for you. So so give the Republicans a try. Um, and, you know, as, as David mentioned earlier, the money for all this is coming from uh, a family, the U-Lines. Um, they move their company up to Wisconsin. The headquarters is right across the state line as mm-hmm. you're driving to Milwaukee U-Line. There's boxes from them around this, this newsroom as well as almost any workplace in the country. They've been very, very successful. And they've Put a lot of their money. They're the number one donors to Republican causes around the country. I think they still live in in the North Shore in Lake Forest, uh, but they a lot of that money to Republican candidates has gone particularly to the sorts of candidates who are into election denialism. Mm-hmm. And we reported last year that the the same people who are funding these newspapers also funded a lot of groups that organized the January 6th, 2021 rally that devolved into the insurrection. Mm -hmm. David, as we said, a number of these stories featured in the mailers, they slam Governor Pritzker for all sorts of things. How has his team responded? Uh, Well, I talked to a spokeswoman for his campaign who says this is uh, not just uh, propaganda, but often outright lies. And they say, you know, it's outrageous to, you know, make your case, campaign against us, but uh, it's outrageous to deceive 
uh, readers into thinking they're getting an independent voice as opposed to something that's very much part of the campaign itself. And, you know, a few years back, there were when this was first coming up, I believe there was a campaign complaint filed about this and ultimately dismissed. But Proft had to sort of change a little bit the way in which uh, the ownership was structured and the way in which these were presented as mm-hmm. to whether or not they were backed directly by the PAC or not. But, you know, these are effectively clearly, camp, you know, coinciding with campaign efforts. And the Pritzker people are aware of that. Now, Pritzker himself is an extraordinarily wealthy man who's willing to spend on his own campaign. He's mm-hmm. in a Democratic state and he looks uh, set to win re-election, although, you know, that's always in the hands of the uh, of the voters themselves. But that doesn't mean that this is a, a fair way to operate. And it's you know, it's corrosive for the campaign, but, you know, as a guy who covers media, I think it's more corrosive for the media climate that we're in. That is, it is at once attempting to discredit explicitly what you read in other outlets. Mm-hmm. And by being kind of corrupt at its core itself, even if um, people get that this particular publication they received in the mail is not what it appears to be, that rubs off on other publications, too. It tells them to have less trust than they sh- than they might otherwise be able to have for, you know, the Chicago Sun-Times or for the, uh, you know, the paper in Springfield or, or, or other publications that are doing their best with whatever resources they have. And so this both degrades uh, those that the, the fake papers attack, but, uh, you know, degrades the very notion that their media outlets one can trust itself. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, the hypocrisy of this at core is that they're telling you we have to produce these newspapers because the mainstream media is too far to the left. But if you look at these newspapers, you you will only see bad things about one party. If you listen to our stories on the NPR member station here, if you read the newspapers in Chicago or downstate, you will see stuff that is unflattering to both parties. And that's my advice to people is if you see that it's all one way, uh, you can know that it's not real news. And, you know, I'm flattered that that you um, included me and David at the beginning of the the (laughs) segment as as real reporters. But what we do is we try to go out there and find out things that we don't know already, things that may or may not uh, fit um, preconceived notions of of ourselves or of certain groups. And that's what journalism is at heart. Um, and the hypocrisy, like I said, is that these uh, the profits of the world will tell you that the media is biased. But when and not to trust the media, but when there's a story that's unflattering about J.B. Pritzker, about Mike Madigan, they will be pointing their audience to those stories. And in fact, they don't do reporting of their own. So they wouldn't know about these things. Everything that Dan Proft and them know about the corruption scandals in the last few years in Springfield. Yeah. They know because it's been reported by us, by the newspapers. And that's what we remain dedicated to doing. Yeah. And, and David, you uh, you talked with Bernie Schoenberg for your story, who's a, a former columnist for the State Journal Register in Springfield. He was one of the state's top political journalists for, for decades. What were his thoughts on this? You know, he had actually picked up on this back when it The first couple of papers arose in Illinois off what was called a kind of political institute that was kind of a kind of hatching ground for uh, Republican ideas and talking points and the like uh, for the state. Uh, And he just said, you know, people are right. He, 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 you know, has worked in Springfield for many, many years 
And so the Sangamon Sun started appearing around town. And he said, you know, these are people that have never been heard of. Yeah. You know, they only have a couple of bylines in them. Many of the stories don't have bylines at all, perhaps most. But he said, you know, nobody nobody in Sangamon County has heard of an actual reporter going and knocking on doors, um, showing up at meetings, asking a question of a public official, whether mm-hmm. positive or negative. Like these people don't know anything about our community and they're not reflecting it. And he, he, he looked at the stories, uh, he, uh, whether they were the, you know, highest selling homes in the county or the uh, uh, they would publish lists of public officials' salaries. And, you know, what you notice and, and is very evident is they're taking stuff that can be scraped off publicly available uh, statistical records and scraping it, probably using uh, bots of certain kinds to accumulate the information and slot it into kind of an, uh, something approximating a newspaper form and lightly touched up by a person. Yeah. And that's how you do it. One of the things that I saw in the Sangamon Sun was astonishing. We used the photograph of a young man. Young man is a, a high school athlete uh, in the county, actually, for Springfield High School. And they did a story every week about his national ranking. Now, I've got to pull up the story to remember what his high school ranking was, but it was in the many of thousands nationally. Uh, 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 and it fluctuated from week to week, maybe between 20 and 80. Yeah. And uh, it meant nothing. They weren't saying anything about the young man as a young man. They weren't telling you something that was useful. He, okay, he was – the most recent rating I found for him was 7,379th for boys under 18. These are not usually yeah. the levels of tennis rankings at which you track these things in a way for readers. But it was a fact that they could determine from a publicly available site, scrape it into a story, use a quote that was three years old from an essay that a tennis pro had uh, posted an online publication about tennis in New York yeah. and use the same quote week after week to present this. Now, the amazing thing to me was that uh, on at least two of the weeks, they presented it with a photograph of a boy who looked to be no older than nine or ten holding a tennis racket. That boy was white. The actual uh, uh, athlete, whose name is David Liu, is a high school teenager and is an Asian American oh looking goodness. nothing like this kid. My gosh! So like it was just meshing together as... information, and to the point where it's just it's 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 literally fake. It's a Potemkin newspaper. Well, it's, it's a facade. It's meaningless. Uh, last word to you, Dan, because we're we're just about out of time here. Your thoughts on just the, the state of local news in Illinois at this point? Well, there are fewer and fewer of us than there were when I started out as a reporter in Chicago in the late 90s. And when I worked as an intern next to Bernie Schoenberg down in Springfield one summer in downstate very long ago. And uh, But the ones that remain, we are trying to um, you know, find out the things that are important to all of you out there. I mean it in the most sincere and earnest way. And... Um, uh, you know, last week uh, we reported on a story where we went down to Joliet with two lawyers paid for by this station to to unseal the divorce of a Democratic uh, leader in Springfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was very unflattering stuff about him. And do you want people doing reporting? Uh, you know, please uh, continue to support that kind of reporting. But I do understand people have come up to me and said, well, I, I saw this, this stuff uh, on Facebook. I know I shouldn't believe everything on Facebook, but this was a legit news outlet. Yeah. And I, I traced it back to, to one of these uh, websites uh, in another part of the state. And uh, so, like David said, it's an ecosystem where this starts to bounce around and it uh, it ends up everywhere and blurs the line between you know political uh, messaging 
and uh, independent journalism. Dan Mihalopoulos is a government and politics reporter for WBEZ, and David Folkenflik is a media correspondent for NPR. Thank you both. Whether it's fake newspapers in your mailbox or misinformation online, sometimes it's hard to separate fact from fiction, which is why having media literacy is so important. With us to discuss more is Michelle Chula Lipkin, Executive Director of the National Association for Media Literacy Education, or NAMELY, and Alex Mahadevan, Director of MediaWise, a nonprofit that's run by the Pointer Institute. So I w- first of all, I want to get your thoughts on what's happening here in Illinois. You first, Michelle. Great. Yeah. And I'm happy to be here with Alex. We're close partners. So we're always excited to talk about this topic together. Um, So, yeah, I think what we're seeing is not surprising. Let's be honest. You know, we um, this type of tactic is is very as old as news is. Right. Mm -hmm. This is not new. This is not new tactics. And I think what we're just seeing is is what you said right at the intro, which is the importance of of educating people to be able to assess the information that comes at them, whether it's in their mailbox or on their social media feeds. You know, I think that, you know, what we have right now is a 24-7 minute-by-minute information ecosystem. We're constantly being bombarded by information and by media messages, and we need to be prepared with the questions that we need to ask. Um, And I think that you know, media literacy is really frontline in our defense against misinformation and false news. And so the more that we can equip people with the questions that they need to ask and the skills they need, mm-hmm. um, it will help them whether they receive something false um, or misleading in the mail or whether they'll see it on their Facebook feeds, right? So Alex can talk a, a lot about the very specific skills people need. But I think what we're really seeing is just a different tactic that um, we need to just be aware of. We always need to be on our toes with the information that comes to us. Sure. Alex, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, what's really insidious about this is that they're kind of targeting people where they'll be off guard. I think the last five years, um, at least myself and others in the media literacy field, we've been so focused on uh, fighting misinformation online, you know, social platforms. So I think people are getting better at putting their guard up when they see things on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or what have you. But if they're looking at a hard newspaper that lands in their driveway, that's that is a, a, a tough a, a tough thing for us. So yeah. media literacy really goes, um, and what we do is try to teach it um, so it goes really beyond platform, you know, beyond um, wherever you find your information. So somebody can pick up a newspaper and think more critically about uh, who sent it to them, um, about who's behind each of the news articles, mm-hmm. about um, you know the content itself. Right. Well, I mean, do we know, Alex, if sharing mailers that look like newspapers, if if that's allowed? Uh, I don't know about the specific legality of it, um, but it it is something that um, it freaks me out. I mean, my my parents have received the Epoch Times uh, quite a bit and they call me and say, hey, Alex, I just got this newspaper. What you know, what's the deal with it? Yeah, I have to go on to Google. You're the fact checker. Yeah, yeah. And go to Wikipedia, check out more about it. So, yeah, um, it's. It's really across the U.S. we're seeing this. Well, you know, Michelle, we, we, we might not be sure whether they're allowed, but they're certainly harmful, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, mis- and disinformation is meant to um, confuse, to create chaos, to build divisiveness, right, in society. And we've seen 
we've seen really, really real world examples and, and dangerous examples, right? So another reason why we really have to be on our toes. But I do think that in researching what's going on specifically in Chicago, it does seem that there's really some very clear red flags on these publications around not having information about who funds the paper, you know, where the information is coming from, uh, lack of bylines. There's some really, really clear red flags that would pop up in my mind. And that's where the education comes in. And I do think that, you know, Alex made a really good point that we're kind of getting people used to how they need to think about online um, mis and disinformation. So this is a really interesting tactic that these groups are using. Um, but I think that, you know, we live in a time where, um, you know, we have such technology available at our fingertips that anyone can make a newspaper, right? right anyone, anyone could, we were talking about cheap fakes and deep fakes. The level of technology is really, really advanced mm-hmm. and we need to be ready for it, right? So we can't, we just can't make assumptions about any information. I can't stress that enough. We have to be willing to kind of understand where information comes from, you know, who is creating the information, who's funding the information, and the red flags and some of this information about how like um, skewed the information is, right. how they might be like trying to get us to feel really strong emotions. Those are really basic, to be honest, um, red flags that we need to be thinking about. Absolutely. And, yeah. And so another I, red flag being the fact yeah. that we, we end up seeing these uh, typically during election season. Right, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think now more than ever, you need to be on guard um, for this type of thing. Yeah. Like on Facebook, but on, you know, in mailers that, that come to you, because right now is when uh, the disinformers really hit the ground running, whether they be, you know, political action committees or, um, you know, vested interests, this is the time now where they know they can catch you uh, at your motion, most emotional stake. You, you know, you're, you're seeing polls, you're seeing um, uh, get out the vote efforts. Like now it just seems like everything is at sort of a fever pitch in this week leading up to the election. So now is the time when they can hit you with something that is uh, really, really provocative. So something, you know, this massive splashed headline that says defund the police coming to a city near you or mm-hmm. CRT in your schools, you know, so those are red flags there. Like if you see something that really freaks you out or especially angers you, then you might be looking at something that's not the whole story that is a little bit misleading. So, you know, I would say for folks, when you when you look at these mailers, if you get angry, then that's a cue to Stop and uh, fire up Google and type in uh, the name of the person who allegedly wrote this article or the name, you know, West Cook News or uh, or this political action committee. You can find out a lot of information by just opening a few tabs, putting in a few keywords and um, doing a little bit more research, being a little bit more active about that information you consume. Yeah, really interesting to to think about of this as catching people at emotional emotionally vulnerable points right who who do you think alex are, are the real targets of efforts like this well my parents i mean i, I older adults i yeah. think um you know at media wise we do a lot of work with aarp because we know that older adults are the most civically engaged 
Um, they have the most disposable income, so obviously they're always um, targeted with scams. But they're most they they have a vested interest in, in in making the country a better place. They're the ones who actually go out and vote. And also, you know, we have a loneliness pandemic as well. And so this is this is a, a demographic of folks who are looking to connect. Um, they are looking to, um, you know, to feel a part of something. So I think they're at this particular vulnerable state, and especially around elections when they, you know, I think older folks, while they are, you know, mailing in ballots more, they're also the ones who are actually going out. So they're the ones who are reading the mailers right now and maybe or maybe not deciding in this week leading up who they're going to vote for. So definitely older adults. Michelle, do you think that this has any ties to the decrease of local media, especially newspapers? Well, I think certainly the decrease in local media has been incredibly detrimental to democracy. Let's just put it out there. That's not an exaggeration, right? Because people are not getting their local news. They're not getting the information that truly pertains to them and their lives on a daily basis. And that's going to clearly impact the way they vote, the way they live, the way they, they relate to their neighbors and their communities. Um, it's, it's hugely dangerous for our de- the, like the state of our Democrat, uh, democracy to see what's happening with local news. And I, and I do think they're, I think it's a really good question because I do think they're related, especially because and this might be one of the kind of insidiousness of this tactic Mm -hmm. is that people are probably excited to think that they're getting news from home, right? Like it's almost like they're getting, Oh, wow. This this is is local for me. Yeah. This is a paper for me. And especially as Alex said, the older people who might not even be on social media and this is really, and they have grown up in a world where if it's in print, they believe it. Right. So I do think that their disinformation tactics are very advanced and they're very strategic. So we have to recognize that strategy. And I think you're right. I think they're using the um, the lack of local news mm-hmm. to get people to pay attention to what they're trying to present as local news. Yeah, so but, it's totally related. Yeah, for the sake of what they're trying to accomplish, do you think it's smart, Michelle, that they made their mailer look like a normal newspaper? I think it's creative. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, like, you know, it's interesting. It's like people, what we have to recognize is those that are are trying to spread disinformation, um, their intent is very clear. And we know that they're good at it, right? They have, they get it out there. They do people, they are really, there has been a lot of lessons in how to do this effectively, which is why we need to counter it so consistently. And we're not doing a good enough job doing that. Um, and we just need to, I can't, I don't know what else to say, except whenever you pick up something, you have to ask some basic questions about agenda and about intention of the piece that you're reading you know it's it's really not even enough to just distinguish between fact and fiction right we have to really understand things in a deeper way so alex what is media wise doing right now to educate more people about media literacy so we have programs aimed at uh teens college students older adults spanish speakers and um, we approach it in different ways for different demographics because disinformation reaches people in different ways. It affects them in different ways. So, for example, for older adults, we have um, a text message course called Find Facts Fast that you can sign up for. And every day you get a text message right, you know, right to your mobile phone with a quick media literacy lesson, maybe teach you how to do a reverse image search. And, um, and you can be on your way. Joan London actually is featured in that. So for older adults there. Oh, wow. and then 
for yeah, for our teens, we uh, partnered with PBS NewsHour Student Reporting Labs to create lessons for teachers based on our teen fact-checking network. So we have a, a network of teenagers who literally find claims on their social feeds on TikTok. They fact-check it themselves. They shoot a video, and they put it out in the world, and um, they are their own little fact-checkers. Now teachers can go to PBS and download our fact checks as a lesson. Um, And so, yeah, it's mainly meeting people where they are and where disinformation reaches them is our our main goal. That all sounds great. Michelle, what about Namely? So I want to mention some really important, exciting work that we're doing with the National Association of State Election Directors. Um, These are the folks that are really on the front lines of uh, disinformation about elections. They're the incredible Americans that are, are rolling up our, their sleeves and running our elections day in and day out. And we created a toolkit for our election officials on how to kind of navigate their constituents who believe disinformation. But we also created tip sheets about navigating um, disinformation and things to think about. Like, what do I need to think about when you see images and videos about election online? How do I protect myself from false information about elections? Mm -hmm. What questions should you ask? So these tip sheets are available on nasa.org. They're available to download and they're really, really great information, Mm -hmm. uh, especially at this really key time where disinformation is, is running rampant. Yeah. And this year, Illinois actually became the first state to pass legislation requiring every public high school to incorporate a curriculum around media literacy, which is Also good information there. Uh, Michelle Chula Lipkin is the executive director of National Association of Media Literacy Education. And Alex Mahadevan is the director of MediaWise, a nonprofit run by the Pointer Institute. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason. It was edited by Ethan Schwab. Enjoy having a quality news source anytime you like? Then consider subscribing to our podcast and get us in your feed each day of the work week. And when you subscribe, leave us a rating. That helps more people find us and supports the work that we do. That's it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk tomorrow 